Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today our student pastor, Ethan Smith, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. If you have your Bible, then go ahead and grab it. We are going to be in John chapter 11 for our time this morning. We're actually just going to look at the first few verses of John chapter 11. And as you turn there, you're going to see this is a familiar story to a lot of you. It's the the death and the raising of Lazarus uh, in John chapter 11. But we're, we're not going to cover the entire narrative This morning, as you can see, we're just going to look at verses 1 through 6 and then verses 14 through 15. That might sound odd, but hopefully it will make sense as we go. As you have already seen, today is Graduate Recognition Sunday. We have five students who are are getting ready to take a huge step in their lives. So now that you guys are dispersed, congratulations again. This is is a huge moment. It's a, a huge accomplishment and you are at a point where I think you can you, you should not just can you should do a little a little soul searching like what are your dreams what is your goal in life what do you love what do you treasure most and, and answering these questions honestly will show the trajectory of your life. And not just for these students, but actually for everyone. Because nothing reveals the person more than what they love most. What you love most will say more about where your priorities lie than what you say out loud. You you can tell me that, that Jesus or the church is important but when you look at your life, you can see what you actually treasure. And this led me to another question. Would that same reality apply to God? Like, what is God's highest goal? Because I think by understanding what His, God, uh, his highest goal is, would we not get a glimpse into the character of God? To see His priorities? And answering this question would be, would be critical to our actually knowing and loving God. It would actually allow us to join in with God in His own pursuit. Which, in turn, would be both our greatest responsibility and our highest joy. It would give us purpose in life, for our purpose is to line up with God's purposes. So it seems like an important question to ask and answer. So so what is God's highest goal? If you're you're taking notes, here it is. Three words. What is God's highest goal? Here it is. His own glory. What is God's highest priority? 
his own glory. Anything less than that would be idolatry. Anything less would be unloving toward his creatures. This means he, God, is his own greatest treasure and his goal, not not us. We can see this clearly in the beginning from eternity past, and we can see this in eternity future where we will spend time with him, spend eternity with him. In eternity past, God was infinitely happy in himself. You ever thought about that? Before creation existed, God was fine. The creation, everything you see, every planet, every molecule, every flower, every person, is not supplemental to God as if he lacked something. It's the overflow of God's goodness and joy in himself. Which means man, all of us, were created for him. And again, Genesis 1 and 2, man was created in the garden to see and be with God. We were made to find our joy and our satisfaction in this glory, just as God does. He's the fountain of joy And we were made to drink from it. And in the end, in eternity, in the future, in the kingdom of God, we'll see him as he is. Is that not the goal? That Revelation 21, there's no need for a temple, there's no need for a church. Why? Because God himself is with his people. That we have no need for the sun, the moon, and the stars. Why? Because God himself will be their light. And in between these two moments is the fall into sin and the redemption that is in Christ. And, And how does Paul describe these two realities as as sinners and as saints. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses four and verse six are very helpful in describing this. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse four says this in their case, unbelievers, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to do what? To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So to be an unbeliever, to be in a state of rebellion, is actually to be blind to to God. And and not just blind to God, but blind to his glory, what you were made to see. And so in salvation, two verses later, verse 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we read this, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So a state of rebellion, which we all start in, is blind to the glory of God. It's finding our joy somewhere outside of God. And salvation 
is God opening our eyes so that we not just see the glory of God, but we enjoy the glory of God. You see, the wonder of salvation that we, that we celebrate here is not only that we can have our sins forgiven, that we can have life after the grave. The beauty of the gospel is that God sent His Son to die in our place and rise on the third day to bring us back to God. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 tells us that Christ suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That He might bring us to God. So the goal of the gospel is God. Okay, so if you're, this is your first time here, you're an unbeliever, you're just checking Christianity out, and what do we have to offer you? We have Jesus to offer you. We have nothing else to offer you, but in Jesus you have everything. So in Christ, God actually removes every obstacle to our seeing and enjoying Him. That's salvation. He is the goal. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, we're told that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. So I read that and I think, well, surely God would obey that too. Surely everything he does would be for his own glory. Or take, for instance, the first of the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20. You shall have no other gods before me. And I think, would God then turn around and, and have something as his, as his treasure that's not himself? Would he command us to do something and then do something different? I'll, I'll say it this way. The most loving act God can do for mankind is not, this is important, it's not to prevent pain or suffering or to provide materially all we could ever want. The most loving act God can do for us is to give us himself. That's the most loving act God can do. It's because God is the most valuable being in the universe. He is the most glorious. He's the most satisfying. He is the highest of beings. Nothing else will truly satisfy your soul but Him. That's why the greatest gift of the gospel is God. You were made for Him. To pursue anything else other than God as your highest treasure, the Bible word for that is idolatry. Because there's no treasure more valuable than God. Even the word worship. Worship means to ascribe worth to something that is worthy. That's why we worship God. No one or thing is more worthy than God. And if this is true for you, then surely it's true for God. His greatest treasure must be himself. It must be. Otherwise, he's an idolater. 
and he's unloving toward his creatures. And you say, why? Why unloving? And you guys know this. Love provides what will lead to the highest good, the highest joy of the person loved, even at great personal cost. Take, for instance, a father that, that knows his, his teenage son. He's driving now. He needs a car. He's working. He's got to get back and forth uh, from school to work to home. And the father has the resources available. I can, I can purchase my son a car. It's no problem. But instead, the father opts to get the son a pair of roller skates. Like, thank you. Yeah, but That doesn't help much, right? I'm not getting back and forth between home and work on a pair of roller skates. Especially not me. We went roller skating with the students yesterday, and I fell several times. I'm not very good at that. But no, the son is given the best because the father loves him. So God, in giving his creatures, us, the best, gives us himself. And if you, if you get this, like if, if, if this like lands, takes hold, I'm telling you, it makes the entire Bible make sense. And, and if this is new... All I'm asking is, just, just hear me out. Consider what the Bible has to say. And if you don't like it, if it's shocking, if it's upsetting, that, that we ourselves are not God's greatest goal, everything's not centered on me, then what it might suggest is what you're really worshiping is yourself. If you only worship God when He makes you the point you're not worshiping God. And John 11 helps make this clear. So hopefully by now you are in John chapter 11. And we'll again, verses 1 through 6 and then 14 and 15. I believe it yep, will be on the screen as well. We read this. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus so... When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then, verse 14. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Father in heaven, we love you. God, we thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you, celebrate graduates. And Lord, my prayer for them is the same prayer I have for myself, for the rest of the students, for this church, that we would live for your glory. Because I believe living for your glory is joining you in your own pursuit. 
And Lord, I, I understand that at times this might sound abstract as if it doesn't actually apply to life, but this, this affects everything that we do. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak for the glory of Christ, that you would give us uh, eyes to see, ears to hear, and a mind to understand, because we need you to help us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you were to, to read this narrative, okay, you're brand new, this is the first time you've opened the Bible, or this is the first time you're reading through the Gospel of John, I think this narrative would probably shock you, or at least it should. Like, like let's review what we've read, shall we? We read that a man named Lazarus is ill. Not good, right? This man isn't a stranger to Jesus. He's someone Jesus knew and cared deeply about. His sisters are so concerned with this illness that they send him, they send messengers to Jesus telling him, hey, Jesus, the, the one you love, Lazarus whom you love, is, is sick. The implication being, hey, come do something. Help us out here. And just as a side note, I want to point out how amazing it is to me that these messengers were able to, like, find Jesus. You guys thought about that? Like, there's no GPS system. There's no location services. Like, they might know Jesus is going this direction. Okay. You can't text Jesus and be like, hey, where are you? Oh, okay, I'll be there. Like, they have no idea. Like, that, that's amazing to me. If you say, hey, let's go downtown and go to this restaurant, like, I'm putting it in a GPS. Like, I, I don't understand. I feel like some of you guys are judging me because you grew up with, like, maps. I didn't, right? And I'm sure I'm not the only one that's like that. So hats off to these guys. They understood the assignment. They found Jesus. And so, so what does Jesus do when he hears this message? What's he say? He says, this illness does not lead to death. Good so far. He says, rather, he says, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Like, like stop and think. This illness had as its purpose a showing forth the glory of God. That, that's why Lazarus is sick. This illness is for the glory of God. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. That, that's why it's here. It. It is for the glory of God. It is what? The illness. It's for the glory of God. It's very reminiscent of John chapter 9. You remember John chapter 9? Jesus and the disciples encounter the man born blind. And the disciples look at him and say, what? Jesus, who, who sinned here? Was it the man? Was it his parents that he was born blind? Like, what, what's going on? And what does Jesus say? He says, neither. <laughs> neither he nor the parents sinned. He was born blind that the works of God might be displayed in him. That's why he was born blind. This illness is for the glory of God. And what is more, Jesus or John specifically tells us that Jesus loves his family, does he not? Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He wasn't indifferent. This wasn't a stranger. He loved them. And in fact, look how he acts because he loves them. Verse 6, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. Grammar matters in Scripture. Daniel shows us that. 
week after week. Grammar matters. Jesus loved this family. So, because he loved them so, this is how he acted. What did he do? So, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Does that strike anyone else as odd? Like, if your husband had a heart attack and was in desperate need of an operation, and your next-door neighbor was a world-renowned surgeon, and you say, hey, I need you to come over, wouldn't it be loving for the doctor to show up? If your best friend calls you in the middle of the night and is going through an absolute crisis and says, I need you now, wouldn't it be unloving for you to be like, mm, see you in the morning, and then turn back over? Wouldn't that be cold? Wouldn't that be uncaring? Let's take it a step farther. Verses 14 and 15. After making a statement, Jesus talking about his desire to do the works that he's been given while he is on earth. The disciples don't know what's going on. They're not understanding. So Jesus kind of shifts, right? Our friend Lazarus, this is verse 11. It wasn't on the screen. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go to awaken him. The disciples still don't know what's going on. So verse 14, Jesus told them plainly. Love that. Makes me feel better about myself. Maybe it's just me. All right. Lazarus has died. And then, here it is. 15. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. I was glad. Not only has he died, but Jesus is like, I'm happy I wasn't there. I'm glad I was not there. Does that not sound cold to anyone else? Like, are you guys all so super spiritual? They're like, no, it makes sense. I got it. Like, am I the only one? Like, sure, I know some of you are like getting fidgety. You're tapping, right? You want to scream out at me. Like, Jesus knows what he's going to do. Jesus is going to raise him. It's going to be awesome. Like, yeah, Jesus knows what he's going to do. But the disciples didn't understand. Martha didn't understand. Mary didn't understand. Lazarus didn't understand. I feel safe to say, he's like, this will be a cat nap, see you shortly. And then, like, they didn't know. What is Jesus doing? How is this loving at all? And this is where our man-centered thinking rather than God-centered thinking tends to kick in. If our health, if our wealth, if our avoidance of pain and suffering and death is what it means to be loving, then Jesus is not loving here. He's not. But if we understand that seeing the glory of God and trusting in Christ is more important than life itself, then what Jesus did here is infinitely more loving than anything else he could have done. It was the most loving thing he could have done, and that's, that's key. To show forth his glory so that the disciples, so that Mary, so that Martha, so that Lazarus, so that the onlookers could see Jesus as the Son of God, see his glory that's why he acted as he did. The most loving act Jesus could possibly do for us is give us a greater sight of his glory. 
our, our soul will only be satisfied in him, which means our greatest need is for Jesus to act in this way. Our greatest need, regardless of the circumstances, is to know and depend on Jesus. And it's loving for Jesus to show us himself, even in the midst of pain and suffering. And I know that's hard to hear. It doesn't diminish our pain and our suffering, but it shows us a greater goal. And the question is, do you believe it? God always acts ultimately for his own glory, and it's right for him to do so. It would be sinful for him to act in any other way. This is the testimony of Scripture. This is a testimony of Scripture. I know some of you might be like, well, I think you're kind of just putting something on John chapter 11 that might not be there. Let me let God speak through his word. So if you're taking notes, put your pencils down. Just listen. If you want this list, I can get it to you later. Okay, I need to take a deep breath. We'll see that it's all throughout the Bible. You ready? Okay, nobody responded. Take that as a yes. God chose his people for his glory. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, verses 12 and 14. God created us for his glory. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. God called Israel for his glory. Isaiah 49, 3, Jeremiah 13, 11. God rescued Israel from Egypt for his glory. Psalm 106, 7 and 8. God raised Pharaoh up to show his power and glorify his name. Romans 9, 17. God defeated Pharaoh at the Red Sea to show his glory. Exodus 14, 4 and 18. God spared Israel in the wilderness for the glory of his name. Ezekiel 20, verse 14. God gave Israel victory in Canaan for the glory of his name. 2 Samuel 7, 23. God did not cast away his people for the glory of his name. 1 Samuel 12, 20, verse 22. God saved Jerusalem from attack for the glory of his name. 2 Kings 19, 34 and 20, verse 6. God restored Israel from exile for the glory of his name. Ezekiel 36, 22 and 23 and verse 32. Jesus sought the glory of his Father in all that he did. John 7, 18. Jesus told us to do good works so that God gets glory. Matthew 5, 16 and 1 Peter 2, 12. We're not done. Jesus warned that not seeking God's glory makes faith impossible. John 5, 44. Jesus said that he answers prayer that God would be glorified. John 14, 13. Jesus endured his final hours of suffering for God's glory, John 12, 27 and 28, and John 17, 1, 13, 31 through 32. God gave his son to vindicate the glory of his righteousness, Romans 3, 25 and 26. God forgives our sins for his own sake, Isaiah 43, 25 and Psalm 25, 11. Jesus receives us into his fellowship for the glory of God, Romans 15, 7. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Son of God, John 16, 14. God instructs us to do everything for his glory, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 and 6, 20. God tells us to serve in a way that will glorify him. 1 Peter 4, 11. Jesus will fill us with fruits of righteousness for God's glory. Philippians 1, 9 and 11. All are under judgment for dishonoring God's glory. Romans 1, 23 and 3, 23. Herod is struck dead because he did not give glory to God. Acts 12, 23. Jesus is coming again for the glory of God. 2 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. Jesus' ultimate aim 
for us is that we see and enjoy his glory. John 17, 24. Even in wrath, God's aim is to make known the wealth of his glory. Romans 9, 22 and 23. God's plan is to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. Habakkuk 2, 14. Everything that happens will redound to God's glory. Romans eleven thirty six. In the new Jerusalem, the glory of God replaces the sun. Revelation 21, 23. Scripture is clear that God acts finally for his own glory. Our issue is not that the Bible is unclear. The issue is we don't like what it has to say. And this reality can leave a horrible taste in your mouth and can be the reason that you walk away from the God of the Bible. You would not be the first. But that doesn't make it unbiblical. Some may not like what you hear, but man, that's a lot of scripture. And it it rubs you the wrong way, perhaps because it it sounds as if God's arrogant, that he's self-centered. And we've been trained from a young age to dislike arrogant people. We don't like cocky people, do we? We're fine with confidence, maybe even kind of getting close to arrogance, but... Too much and we're done with you, right? We like, we like a gladiator like Maximus, who's confident, who's good, who knows he's good, but he's humble, right? We don't like Emperor Commodus, who's arrogant to the end. God is not arrogant. He is not arrogant. He is loving. He is glorious. He's showing us what is most valuable and desirable in the universe. And and if we understand this, everything makes sense. It really does. Why were you created? It was not because God lacked something, but rather to display his glory and your enjoyment of him. In creating man, he made us to be a part of what is actually eternally satisfying. The love and the joy that's found in him. Why is sin so heinous and hell so horrible? It's because the glory of God has been slighted. And not only is it treason, but it's actually the suicide of our, our, of our joy. Because in sin, we're fighting against the one place where our joy is actually found. God's saying, hey, I made you. Find your joy in me. And we're like, no, we'll go over here. It's against our own joy. And it makes us infinitely guilty because God is infinitely valuable. Hell is the proper response when the infinite glory of God has been rejected. That's the proper response. Hell doesn't make sense if we don't understand how valuable God's glory is. Why is the cross so glorious? Why do we celebrate this picture of execution? It's because God displays his glory in punishing sin in his son so that those who believe might be reconciled to him. As Romans 3.26 says, God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. 
The glory of God is is vindicated. It's shown. This is how valuable my glory is because your sin's so horrible that I have to slaughter my son. At the cross and in the empty tomb, man is redeemed, yes and amen, and the glory of God is upheld. Why would the Apostle Paul turn away from being the, the next guy up? He was, good, he was set to be the next leader in Judaism. Comfort, popularity, for a life of hardship, pain, suffering. We're going to see next week shipwreck. Why? That trade doesn't make sense. Unless he found something better. Philippians 3.8, he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He found something better. He found something greater, something more precious. He found a treasure that the world couldn't touch. Why would almost all of the 12 apostles die gruesome deaths? Suffer immensely because of the value of Christ. Why would we call you to treasure Jesus more than your stuff and give to the church in a sacrificial way? It's because the glory of God in Christ is more to be desired than any of the stuff that you're giving up. We're inviting you into something better. We're joining in with God in his own pursuit. So so how does this relate back to John chapter 11? John 11 provides a narrative to remind us that God is not distant in the midst of our pain. He knows what we need and he's acting to that end. You may not understand it, you may not see it, but that's what God's doing. And what we need most, for instance, when you receive a cancer diagnosis is a greater sight of the glory of God, whether that means you get healed or not. What you need most when you're going to the funeral of a friend is you need to know and believe that Jesus loves you and you can cling to him because in that pain, He's doing something. What we need in the midst of a marriage in crisis mode is a sight of the glory of God that satisfies our souls. Because it's only when we love and value God rightly that we can love and value each other rightly. If you get that backwards, you can enter crisis mode. We may not ever understand why painful things happen. And again, I don't want to ever diminish the pain that I'm sure some of you are probably going through even right now. But here's what we can do is we can trust that God does know what's going on. And he will get glory out of it. And and this should rightly comfort the heart that, that genuinely loves our Heavenly Father. That he's with us. That he promises that all things will work out 
for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. What's the good? It's not healing. It's not a great job, beach house. The good is seeing and knowing Christ and being transformed to the same image. How can we overcome addictions to pornography or alcohol? You need to realize that the deepest longing in our heart is for God. And, and to actually believe Him when He says in Psalm 84, 11, no good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. So that, that alcohol, that pornography is promising you pleasure. And the only way to fight that is with a better pleasure. It's something more satisfying, something you want more, and that's Jesus. How can we lay aside pride when we don't get our way at home or at work or in church? We feel slighted by people. We do that by seeing God as the goal. If I have God as my goal, then if I have to lay aside my preferences, I may not like it, but I can do it. God promises to oppose the proud and give grace to the humble. Why? Because the humble recognize their dependence on Him. And I never want to be in a category, God help me, in which it can say, He opposes me. So we lay aside our pride in an understanding of God knows what He's doing. That's why Paul can say, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Why? Because he's not like mustering up inner courage Take the mountain, it's, I trust Christ. When we encounter difficulties, and we will, John 11 reminds us that Jesus loves us in the midst of it. His love for this family did not cease. In staying two days longer, he loved them. He loved them so much that he let them go through the pain so that they could know him, which is infinitely more important. This isn't, this isn't cruelty, and it can seem like cruelty if we have a misunderstanding of what love is, but this is love. And I was, I was just thinking, again, this isn't in the Bible, so it's all speculation, but what if Lazarus died again? He did die again, but what if he died before Mary and Martha. Again, we have no evidence. I don't know. Could have. But say he dies again. Jesus is already resurrected. He's ascended. What would bring them more comfort in that moment? What would bring them the most comfort is not Jesus having healed Lazarus at the beginning. It's them looking at that tomb of their brother and remember Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. The comfort that that brings is far greater than the comfort of working a miracle and healing him of illness. To graduate as you're preparing to go off to school, to work, to whatever plans you have, here's my, here's my plea. Do it for the glory of God. God is ultimately for the glory of God, and that is good news for us. It is for our eternal benefit. God is giving us what will bring us the most joy, both now and in eternity, 
That's why Jesus can say in John chapter 17, verse 3, that eternal life is knowing God the Father and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That's eternal life. It's knowing him. And, and so church, I know some of you might have questions. That's, that's fine. But here's what I know. Your greatest hope lies in God's pursuit of his own glory. Your salvation rests in it. Your assurance of heaven that God will keep his promises and bring us into the fullness of joy in his own presence, as Psalm 16 says, is found in the fact that God pursues his own glory. And when we don't understand why we're suffering, and again, I, I, I don't want to diminish. I know some of you guys are probably asking questions. Why am I going through this? I don't know. But God does know. And he's not being cruel. He's not punishing his children. Your pain isn't wasted. In the midst of difficulty, tears streaming down your face, you can... God knows. In eternity, it'll make sense. Like That's a rock you can stand on. You can build your life on that. God's highest goal is his own glory. Of this, the Bible is clear. And in, in salvation, in redemption, being made new creatures, we're, we're invited into we're joining in with God in his pursuit. We get to work with him, in him, by his power for the same end. And that is loving. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are ultimately for your glory because anything less would be unloving to us. Our greatest need is for you, and Lord, sin is trying to substitute you with something else. So God, I, I pray for the person in here that is doing just that. Substituting sin where you should be. I pray for the person in here that's not a follower of Christ, who knows they're not a follower of Christ. That in seeing that our greatest need and what will best satisfy us is you. I pray that they would see the cross and the empty tomb for the glory that it, that it displays. God, help us. We need you. It's in your son's beautiful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.